Thanks for listening to the Read Platform podcast sponsored by Attract and Hypersonics and hosted by me, James Gerd, and Paul Rogers. Warm welcome if it's your first episode. We put a lot of time and effort into creating this content, so please help us keep the podcast free. Refer us to other people in your network, let them know we exist. Share our posts on LinkedIn and Twitter, that'd be really great. And also rate the show on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen. It gives us a visibility boost. With that said, thank you, and we hope you enjoy our latest episode. We've got a cracking episode today. We're talking about managing a large-scale e-commerce technology project with the Gym Group. Um, a lot of you probably already know the Gym Group. Some will be members. But for those who don't, it provides the lowest cost, no contract, 24-7 Gym Nationwide, which is a pretty impressive offering. Um, the online presence is more than just an e-commerce store, so the technology is a bit more complicated than the standard um, e-com. So bookings engine, content portal, exercise hub, customer service tool, and many more all rolled into one. And it has to connect to vast customer base across more than 100 gyms. So this is going to be an interesting discussion. We're going to cover gym groups approach to replatform and structuring the project, the decision process for selecting the new headless um, stack, and managing change like operational implications and payments. So let's introduce our wonderful guest today. So first we have Sean Ball, um, who's got a very hands-on role as digital trade and e-commerce leader and previously had a group head of e-com role at Merlin Entertainment. Uh, good morning, Sean Ball. How are you? Not too bad, James. Um, delighted to be here. And so I head up digital trading at the gym group and covers lots of different areas like e-commerce, trading, of course, SEO, content, um, analytics, CRM, a lot of the day-to-day stuff and all the levers and that um, verticals that will drive the trading performance of the business. I work really closely with um, with Jim and we often refer to ourselves as a bit of a like a Formula One team, um, his team are the engineers in the pit crew and my team drive the car. And we often give out probably a lot of the time about the tech or about the car, even though it might be our bad driving. <laughs> Definitely. Now, uh, I'll, I'll let you decide uh, which driver FP is uh, the boss of this podcast. Um, I'm uh, Jim Hingston, and I'm a digital product director here, here at the Jim Group. So um, I look after effectively all our member facing technology, and that's everything from e commerce into experience, self serve. Um, and then we've got everything around sort of payments. Um, my, my team is uh, made up of user experience, delivery, and, and engineering. We do a lot of partner, partnership management as well. So, um, yeah, different kind of service providers that we, um, we put our technology together to, to have a good offering here at the gym group. I, I like the F1 analogy because that's like premium and sophisticated. I've often described like what I do with other people as like the Chuckle Brothers, which isn't quite as uh, as as uh, a good a comparison. So. It, was, it was probably more of a stains car when we started. Tell <laughs> the story of how we became an F1 team. Excellent. Um, well, we set high expectations now, gents. So, um, Paul, do you want to kick off? Then let's 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 get into the questions around the project. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I guess first question. Or it's kind of a question, but can you give us, or between both of you, can you give us an overview of Project Maui and why it was needed for the gym group? So replatforming the website, introducing a number of new APIs, uh, new CMS, going headless, and then James has uh, added here that you have 12 swim lanes. So if you can kind of just run us through the project and, yeah, the origins and why it was needed. Well, um, so, so I think um, we can start the story at, at the beginning, or I guess with uh, SPNI arriving in the business, SP joined in around November of 2019. Um, and I, well, I'd signed up to join in uh, March of 2020, um, which obviously the world uh, changed them. 
at that point where all of our gyms closed in March. Um, but I still joined in around May uh, of that year. And my, my role was really created just to come in and look at our digital technology and look at how we kind of scaled um, as a business. Yeah, we, we have you know, tens of thousands of members. We had about 900,000 members at that point. Um, you know, across sort of all our gyms were high, high transaction volumes, high, uh, sort of numbers and digital was a real key part of the experience. So we don't have like a lot of fitness and health clubs and gyms where you might have a you know, concierge giving you a fluffy towel, uh, coming in, um, to one of our gyms. Yeah. Digital is absolutely keen sort of, uh, looking at that experience. So really my, uh, our role was kind of a dual hire in terms of actually how do we take our capability to the next level we joined in um well i joined in may um everything all our gyms were closed so it's a difficult time for a lot of businesses but my first job was to really um get us ready to reopen whenever that was going to be um we had a load of projects and it gave me a good time just to get my um feet under the table we reopened um and you know our world changed pretty, pretty heavily at that point. Um, everything basically started falling over um, in terms of our technology. So it became apparent we had some real um, scale, real reliability. The way our technology was functioning and what was happening um, wasn't particularly great. Um, one such incident when we reopened on, you know, we were quite late, I think, in the whole mix around when we reopened. It was July. Um, Restaurants, lots of other kind of Categories and industries not allowed to open earlier, but gyms were perceived to be a hotbed of infection, which wasn't actually true, but we were one of the last and into Yeah, yeah. Um, so reopened and had about 13 and a half, 13 and a half hour outage, um, which definitely focused uh, us as a business. Um, but that really it became apparent of well where we were in terms of our digital technology, our scalability, and just how much we needed to do to actually really get there. Um, so we got quite focused, um, in terms of what we needed to do. The first thing was, uh, remediation, um, and just getting up to scale. So we did a top to bottom remediation program, everything from, you know, taking our website that was taking 15 seconds to load, um, to, you know, basic kind of UX, uh, as well as infrastructure upgrades, as well as platform upgrades, all of those things that we did in the first quarter. So we spent, um, had a really successful program and just delivering lots of change in that. At the same time, I built a team, um, started to, uh, brought some people I knew from my, my little black book just to come in and help, um, a scale. I was a, I, I came with a team of zero and we, we quickly scaled to about 12, 15 people, um, all across key kind of competencies. So that put us into a really good place by the end of, um, 2020, where we actually were getting half decent performance out of our technology. We could trade the website and wouldn't fall over if we had um, a CRM campaign go out. All of these things started to get into a lot of a better point. Um, that was the end of 2020. Um, but as part of that, it became really apparent that we had a capability that wasn't going to scale with our business. Given that digital was such at the core of what we're doing, we had no way to really um, scale and I looked at the volumes, you know, the, the number of gyms that we were going to open, um, you know, more gyms, more members, more interactions. Yeah. And we're talking millions and millions of interactions that come through our digital platform. And I'm, I'm looking at that growth 
looking at the growth targets and our current stack just wasn't going to do it. We can scale quickly enough. And that effectively is where Project Maui was born. Um, so at the start of 2021, um, really looking at the big challenge to say, right, how can we sort of support our business performance? How can we give a better digital experience and how can we put in technology that's going to allow us to scale um, a lot better? Right. And uh, I guess sub, uh, sorry, sub, um, carry on. <laughs> were you going to, were you going to carry on that? No, I was just going to just add to what Jim said. And, and I think COVID tested a lot of businesses. And one of the areas where Jim talked about was as a business, we never closed. So you would have a temporary closure. And in COVID for that year, we basically went through getting, you know, 170 gyms open, closed, open, closed. If you switch things on and off quite quickly and you've not had precedent there before, you start to find those things where like, and I, I always remember it was a, we've never rebooted this before. And that was a real eye opener in terms of probably what asked that question about being able to scale. And I think my biggest challenge of being in my role was that I had that scale and process question. So what's the set play? How do we operate? How do we do these things? And I think that was, it was really clear that with the tech we had and the processes and the things we have been a broke business and we like, I think we talked about this, but we probably had people talk about tech debt. I think we probably had a bit of growth debt, which is we were growing so fast that actually that question of how can this plane or how can this, how can this last that 300 gyms with these millions and billions of interactions and COVID was, whilst it was a tricky time, was probably a really great pause moment to think, okay, well, we need to be able to switch things on and off. That was never a requirement in the business from 2007 to 2000, probably 20. Whereas now that was a real life requirement where when is COVID 22 going to come or 23 touch wood, it doesn't happen. But I think we're a lot more, those set plays are so much more finessed now that if, if Rishi said tomorrow that we need to shut down gin, we can do it like that. Whereas in that period, we not only we stress test the tech, but actually even I'd say we stress tested our processes and people as well and totally new territory, but I think, yeah, we'd be much more well-prepared now for something like that. And the, 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 the business agility point, I think really important. And I guess another sort of benefit, you know, it was clear getting product to market and having, you know, being able to react to changing consumer behavior, changing demand, changing your products in the, in the own world, it was very complicated. I was looking at, you know, how did we get, you know, features to live? What was our time to market? And all these long development cycles in quite a fragmented process in a, in a complicated and overly complicated partner network was really, really difficult. So looking to solve for some of those problems, looking to modernize ourselves and then give us that scale and that better agility. They were key parts of the, I guess, the vision that we, we painted to our, our leadership here and why we needed to, um, do a program and a project like this. Attract, your complete product discovery growth engine. Create relevant shopping experiences that convert into sales and grow online revenue with personalized search, merchandising and recommendation solutions powered by AI. Find out more at attract.com. Great. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing more about the tech stack later on. Um, I guess in terms of where you started, like how do you, this is obviously a really big project, um, as you've said, you know, super broad. 
How do you structure a project like this? And how did you get to those 12 swim lanes? Yeah, um, SP always brings up the 12 swim lanes and uh, I can't even remember what they were, to be honest. Um, I think I just dazzled you with uh, some uh, uh, looking quite organized. But um, uh, effectively, we really needed to something. This this was a, a project to the scale that the gym group doesn't normally do. You know, it's, it's a huge tech investment. Um, ideally, we would have had a much smaller program, but given the investment that we had, given where we were, we, we, we knew we'd have to go as, as fast and as hard to sort of deliver some serious value in there and not disrupt our core business too much. Um, the first thing that was really uh, important to do was, was really drive what were our ob- objectives, what was the business value, what was the benefit that we were going to anchor everything that we did with. I mean, I, I've been in parts of re-platform projects where you can get a bit too tech-focused, you're spinning up various bits and pieces in terms of uh, you know, being focused on the tech. We really needed to anchor, like, what were the benefits we were going to drive, what were the uh, objectives, and there was a lot of um, almost kind of visualization, painting a picture of the world in which we'd operate that, that Maui would deliver. So given those two things, it, 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 became, it gave us a chance as a business that's not traditionally very tech-focused or tech savvy to really understand why we were doing this kind of project. So starting in that place was absolutely critical for us. Um, and then I, I think it was just a bit of a um, structuring the core sort of work stream. Some of these were tech-based in terms of we were changing, introducing an application. Other were key parts of the experience. So for instance, um, our join journey, effectively our checkout where we sell our memberships and we need to convert as possible as, as well as possible. That's one of the big um, areas for us. So designing that, delivering that to a high standard was critical. So having a focus and then anchoring on those points was, was quite important. Likewise, we could map some of the other 12 work streams to benefits. What that also allowed us to do was start to look at these key streams all have projects and deliverables that, that are hanging off the side. So we could drive a lot more accountability and reporting off the side of those to build out those plans. What kind of happened in reality is you'd get into some areas and they'd have to be more or less complicated than we thought. So we did have to pivot a few times. That that gave us a real kind of clear view and get people used to actually, A, how a complicated program this is, and then tracking progress uh, against the work stream. Well... I can't tell you the 12 swim lanes, but I can tell you the four that I was responsible for. Um, yeah, the, the swim lanes, the swim lanes kind of came from, I probably just emphasize what Jim said in terms of, as a business, I think we probably underestimated how much tech actually touched everything. And we describe ourselves as not a, as an e-commerce business. So every member manages the membership online through our app, through all of these digital platforms and touch points. And the reality is, is that it, if, for example, they wanted to change something in James's membership, a door has to open, it has to talk to a membership system. It has to know to open that door and that branch on that product on that day, on that hour. So it's quite complex. And I think sometimes maybe this process also gave us a, an education journey to go on in terms of how many different technical touch points. And we had a bit of an internal running joke at one point, which was all about one does not just change that thing because it has a domino effect. And knowledge of those dominoes was, I would say, quite like on the premise, a small number of people had that knowledge of how everything was interconnected. 
that really helped with the that really helped with the swim lane formation. And I think I would say one of the challenges was we had to really visualize where we wanted to be as a business. So as an example, I built a web analytics function, but I was doing that alongside knowing where we would be in 12 months time after this project was delivered. So you're almost trying to build the behaviors into what we do and into a capability or vertical whilst knowing over here, we have a great opportunity while the bonnet is up to build a new data layer to do this. So I think it was very good to be able to project a where we want to be from a vertical perspective or capability perspective. And then we definitely had like four of my swim lanes were obviously um, trading, web analytics, SEO and migration, but also a big one was content and, and around the CMS and the production side of that. And that was also fascinating because we identified content gaps. And this is typically in most businesses, every business would rather have more content, but Again, that growth curve we were on, we never really paused from 2015 to 2020 to stop and say, where's our brand asset bank? Where's all of our different things? So I think as we went through the project, you realized you could build a website quite easily if you've got a lovely big asset bank. But one of you have to the asset bank as well in order to enable the build of the website. So there's definitely a lot of that in a few skin lines where we were balancing the development and advancement of a capability or building a new capability and using this project as a vehicle to deliver that as well, or as a, as a means to do that. And I think that's probably how we went from a certain scale to then coming out the other end all of a sudden with all these new capabilities and new abilities. And but yeah, the swim lines, I personally loved it because I think it gave our teams really great ownership. So we ran steered power groups and. Every swim lane had the opportunity to kind of present what was going on in an executive summary and very high profile project. And it, it fostered a lot of collaboration and education, which sometimes you don't necessarily get in projects of this scale. And, but you could speak to, you know, our engineering team probably have a much better understanding and education of SEO and vice versa now as a result of that collaboration. And that's been really powerful, not necessarily just in the project, but in after like after the project, we've now got kind of SEO and engineering initiatives that are happening on really strong axes because of the project and governance that went with that. I, I really like that approach because on complex projects, it can feel like an amorphous mass for stakeholders who aren't directly driving it. So having centers of excellence where people are assigned to it, but you have that cross-pollination so they're aware of the wider project. I really like that. That's really sensible because effectively you're program management, you're not project management at this level. Um, which leads me on to the next question. And I know a lot of people listening will ask this question because everyone has the same dilemma. It's like, how do you resource this? So I'd love to hear how much you went down the route of like your existing team. I know, Jimmy, you said you recruited people in. Um, like, what, what roles did you go in-house for versus where did you like get contractors or, or third-party specialists to support on it? Yeah, I can, I can take that. Um, so, so one of the, where, where we talked about the visualization of the world, of what we wanted to build, um, our team and capability were a big part of that. We knew by investing here in this way that ultimately we'd be in a better place to have more flexibility around how we built our kind of stack and how we managed our technology and including, you know, building more of an in-house, uh, function, which yeah, drives more ownership. What was really important in those initial days was 
getting some more lead, leadership and capability and subject matter expertise. And that was across product UX, um, uh, delivery, uh, engineering, testing, all of these guys who are more kind of senior seasoned people to, to kind of come in. So, um, we hired effectively everyone in 2020 on contract and most of that team went permanent to actually come in and do this kind of project. So we had that effectively a leadership team built in around there. We start to add as we were going, what we knew we couldn't do though, was we couldn't build everything ourselves. That was way too big for, for what we needed to do. So our first job was to pick a system integrator to come in and work with that leadership team to really start to engineer. So it's still quite lightweight. So we ran a pitch process in those early days um, and really competitive, really interesting process to going through around the technology, around our business. You know, people want, you know, uh, we went out to a lot of traditional retail um, SIs who I think their first reaction was, you're a gym company, why are you talking to us? And then they get it, like we talk about our business, they, they'd understand that. We ended up awarding the, uh, the the contract to the build to a company called Amido, uh, who are now in Sonnen Digital, and they've been with us since that time, and they came in to build a lot of the applications, and that's been a really successful partnership because it helps us deliver and build, uh, but we also could face into the challenges. They were really technical in terms of their, some, their engineering prowess, but we could also then start to build a team, and they built it in a way that was ready to hand over to us as we built out more of our kind of capability. Um, I guess the second phase was, um, you know, going back to the, the race car is at a certain point, the car was ready to be start to, uh, drive. And that's where SB can really start to build that is. Yeah. So my, my side of the team is actually quite different because Jim would have had access to, to capital on the project, which is always a easier conversation with resource. Um, it's a bit trickier in my because my hires would have been parents and they would have been OPEX. But I think that was back to what I said about balancing the uh, advancement of the capability on a project. So it was, we need to invest in this person because in nine, 12 months, we're going to have a Ferrari and we need to have these, we need to have these specialists. And there was a few terms at the time I remember around, um, we talk about generalists and you talk about specialists and what I needed in my team was a couple of specialists and digitalists. So people who are kind of digital generalists to be able to operate this part of that world. Yeah, no. And it's, it's a word we still use today. We're helping deal with career development, but it's, um, it, it's probably asking hard questions to say, why invest in this math problem and deliver this great thing if you're not going to have the right drivers and the right equipment and the right people when it arrives. And, and we really have to focus and SEO is a big part of my world. And just as an example, we, we were about five or six years behind the competition in that space. And during lockdown, the company was fantastic. They backed us and we invested and Jimmy touched on that kind of brains up sort of initiative stuff we did in 2020. And we managed to claw back, I'd say two or three years of that, um, to get us to a decent level on speed, Like it's not every day you can turn a 15 second car into a one second car and, and we've done quite a lot of work in that area, but then we had to then continue to invest in the capability because it's not a case of best practice and fluid. And you're always trying to evolve. You're always trying to push it to the next level, the cost to maintain. And I think that was probably a big step change in my area, which was 
now have all of these things, we have to look after them. And that means we need people. So it each was done on a case by case basis, really each of the workables because, um, and we had to showcase value as well, which meant Jim was great having Jim obviously coming from all the fallen and Devonons and I came from Maryland, but being able to bring examples of what a finished article looks like from another business was really key to selling not that dream, but where we're, where we're actually going and why you need these things. Because as a business, we did look on enviously at other businesses and think, oh, they look great. But actually, a bit of LinkedIn stalking or a bit of background checks and you understand that what you see at Airbnb, for example, we all love that as a brand, is the byproduct of really great engineering team, a really great UX team that's quite mature on their journey. So I think journey mapping for us really key in terms of capability building, and that's what's enabled us to continue to build on that after the project. Yeah, I like that, Bridge. I've done a lot for clients of LinkedIn stalking to map out at least uh, within a degree of of, of error, but um, a, a, an e-commerce team structure show the level of resource and where they have generous and specialists because it can change perceptions at board level sometimes of, you know, why should we recruit? It's like all your competitors have these skills. So, yeah, interesting. Um, it, and that the, the the resource leads me on to the next question, which is the key systems you've selected for e-commerce. I'd love you to talk us through back end and front end. What what did you like you know build using yeah. like open source or available tools versus where did you bring in specialist third party applications and stuff? Yeah, um, it it is worth I guess prefacing this in um, we didn't know what we were going to build when we started out. And when we were building stuff, we ended up building things in a, in a different way. Um, there's, uh, it's an interesting R and D, uh, kind of tax relief, uh, around the in- innovation and, and that kind of thing. If, uh, anyone's interested uh, around, uh, some money that we, um, were able to, how we were able to, you know, better fund some of this project. Um, but ultimately we, we bought, we, we built, um, Two front end apps in React, so um, pasted on and um, Kubernetes is all kind of clusters. Um, well, it's all pasted uh, Kubernetes clusters. Um, we built new microservices um, for a whole bunch of our kind of core um, so kind of services and system integration. Uh, we've got an API kind of form on the um, application. We modernized some areas um, of that as well. And then we um, we partnered with Ampliance uh, to give us kind of headless content, headless CMS system. Uh, so integrated uh, kind of with them for CMS and Dan. Uh, we also in- integrated with a new customer identity manager, uh, which is kind of really powerful for driving security, uh, driving authentication, and basically cross-platform uh, single signer. Um, we also then, we've got some back-end systems on ma- member management, uh, which are in, I guess, quite, um, uh, a little bit more old, older kind of parts, um, that support our business around member management, payment, pricing, and, um, and, uh, and product. So we modernized some of that as well, um, and effectively started to build, build out our kind of core new platforms and um, off the back of that. Worth noting we've got a member app as well. Um so that's a um that was already in place, but we were improving that as we went. Um, so we were some of the integration, some services were helping us to power that. And and that's something that the majority of our members use. So 
I'm talking massive, massive scale uh, coming through some of those platforms as well. That was effectively the, the, the change that we, we put in um, during that sort of period. So we had a few phases that we dropped throughout 2020 uh, to when we went live. I think the, this isn't necessarily a my kind of purview or jurisdiction. One of the biggest things I've seen at the change, so as a as a customer of Ginsteam, and we have the CRM team as an example, and mentioned modernizing some of the stuff that was there already. And the reality is, is that if we didn't go through 2020 and have some of those slowdowns and outages, we wouldn't have known where some of our weaknesses were. And whilst they're not necessarily always the sexiest bit of a project, they made a massive difference in how I do my job and how my students do their job. And and we're talking simple things here, but like the speed of an API call, speed of reporting, things like that, that were typically probably causing Jim a headache in terms of the input demand and pressure they're putting on the different systems. But that modernization was a real cleanup in terms of not just from a tech point of view, but how we do things. And then now, like I think whenever I see one of our load tests or things like that, you often think back to all of the sort of things. And that happens. I think that happened all the time. I think everybody gets uh, a bit of how often do you go back around and look at all of your services and all the things you do and really um, try to improve it. They're always on the agenda, but they're always the thing that gets deprioritized. So I, I definitely think that modernization of some of the day-to-day stuff, I can't emphasize enough how much of a difference that made in the team's ability to deliver their jobs regularly that was a big big thing for me great and one of the things you talked about was uh ampliance or having ampliance as part of the kind of front end stack um you made the decision to go down the headless route and headless kind of comes with pros and cons and you know operational challenges and obviously benefits as well um what convinced you to go down that route and how have you kind of found that um as a as an effort yeah um Really good question. I, I get asked this um, a lot, actually, of what, why, we, why we pick certain technology, particularly more of a, a Mac approach. Um, and the, the answer to that for me is quite simple. It's it, kind of necessity. So a lot of my background in telco, retail, e-commerce, yeah, there are all singing, all dance and solutions that you can actually take. But if I think about the our industry, there's no one stack that I could, bring in and a platform that I could put in place that's going to run even probably 20, 30% of our uh, digital operation. So we're naturally forced to um, to, to, to select and cherry pick some of the best of breed sort of technologies to build up that solution. What I could really see um, coming into this industry, it wasn't particularly mature in terms of technology. Some of the things that we'll be using, some of the software providers, some of the implementations and quality of the experiences just weren't anywhere close to what we'd see in retail, what we'd see there. So it became actually what were the key things that we need to achieve, um, really laddering up to those benefits and then starting to almost componentize the different areas to bring them together and then really challenge yeah, what's the order in which we do is that cost effective way to do it. And yeah, can we yeah can we maintain yeah the operation based on that? So um, that's really yeah why headless ambience like content absolutely massive for us. Um, when nowhere close to a retailer and a max number of content imagery, any of those kind of things. But yeah, people want to see our product. That people want to see inside the gyms. 
Um, likewise, content is really key to helping people keep fit. You know, how do you do an exercise? How do you have an exercise plan? You need content around that, likewise with our brand. So um, that was a real key one. I, I'd worked with Ambience um, a number of times before, so it, it felt like something that could sit quite well. I knew the um, the tooling was pretty good for you know, um, SP's world in terms of campaigns. In terms of yeah the, the the speed that he wanted to operate at with the sophistication so we we could make some pretty quick decisions on some of the technology within those components and then it was just knitting it together which was the real challenge for us i think as the kind of bong and our with after the incident with the operational side one thing i had a lot of time for in the process with actually and from ambience and actually a lot of the time when you speak to software vendors, they'll set you up on play dates with other clients and then everyone will say how great things are. But actually a lot of the through the process was things they would do differently. Actually the majority of the things were not to do with the software, they were to do with how the client had been set up internally or the governance around that. And I think having that in the process was really critical because I asked a lot of tough questions internally of ourselves to say, well, how are we going to get and set ourselves up to get the most out of this system? And if I'm really honest, I've worked with a lot of CMS partners and vendors in the past, and actually a lot of them do similar things, but it's probably down to a bad client, not using them in the right way or not set up to get the most out of them. And I'd echo what Jim said in that the gym industry was very insular in that it would just only look to within and actually question ourselves was, you know, at Merlin, we had this CMS, that CMS. In this industry, they use this, this, and this. And we have really adopted that as a bit of a mindset, which is how would Airbnb do this? How would Amazon do this if it was a challenge? Because um, some of the best and take the ideas of a really great e-commerce business or the principles of it and apply it within our industry. And that was a great challenge for Amphlean as well, because we're not a retailer, we're a multi-site business with very different needs and probably push their system in ways it hasn't been pushed before. And like, I've really enjoyed just with, I couldn't speak highly enough of, from the ambient side, the honesty through the process is what led to us not making mistakes or not trying to go into things. And that counts for an awful lot. And it's sometimes it can just be the world of rosy, but actually it's better going in as well tells you that. It might not work like this. And actually you can you have the time to adopt your internal processes around that. And and that that can make it massive value add that you don't normally see with all vendors. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.